And NBC really gives you a really intimate, detailed process of how to stay connected to your own consciousness while really tapping into the consciousness of others. And it shows you a way of how that looks with language and communication and listening and sharing and receiving and expressing. Welcome to my Run Your Life podcast series, and I want to begin by wishing you all a very happy new year. I sincerely hope that 2021 is a wonderful year and that you experience joy, connection, love, and good health. If you are a returning listener, a big thank you for believing in this podcast and supporting it. If you are a new listener, I genuinely hope you find value in this podcast and come back to listen to future episodes. It's been suggested to me that I should start up a patron page to help offset the cost of producing my own podcast. It can be quite pricey publishing your own podcast, but rather than setting up a patron page, I do have one special request for my listeners. If you find value in my show, I would love it if you could share it with others. I really do want to pull in more listeners in 2021, so rather than asking money to offset the cost of my show, I would be very grateful if you could simply share my podcast with anyone who you feel would benefit from listening to it. A big thank you if you can do this for me. The whole idea behind my podcast series is to interview people from the world of education and beyond who strive for both personal and professional excellence in their life through their chosen profession, whatever that profession may be. Regardless of who my guest is, my aim is to really unpack their own journey in life and what they have come to understand about themselves and what guiding principles have shaped who they are and what they embody both personally and professionally. In today's episode, I bring Morris Irvin Jr. back on my show for a second time. In our first episode together, Morris shared his inspiring story, a journey of self-discovery, passion, and overcoming many obstacles in his life to be able to do the amazing work he now does. Morris is a talented speaker, a mentor, healer, and most importantly, a deeply committed educator. If you didn't get a chance to listen to my first episode with Morris, I highly encourage you have a listen as I think it will help to better frame up our discussion today. You can find the link to the first episode in the show notes of today's podcast. I wanted to have Morris back on the show to share his knowledge and insight related to nonviolent communication. So what is nonviolent communication? You might be wondering. Nonviolent communication is a unique and powerful process for inspiring compassionate connection and action. 
It provides a framework and set of skills to address a wide range of concerns from the most intimate relationships to global political conflicts. The purpose of nonviolent communication, also referred to as NVC, is to help all involved to sharpen their awareness of language so that they can express what really matters to them and also hear what really matters to others. It involves empathic communication whereby we can attune ourselves to both our own and other people's real needs. Morris has years of experience training in nonviolent communication and regularly applies it in his own life, both personally and professionally. I asked Morris to share his experiences using nonviolent communication to give us a glimpse into how it works and ways that it can be applied in our own lives, especially in difficult situations. Evidence shows that being judgmental is the root cause of the majority of conflicts that occur in life. We've all been there. We've all been in that place where we have not only judged others, but have been judged by others, so we know what that feels like. NVC is about removing judgment and genuinely tapping into our own authentic needs and the needs of others, especially when deep conflict occurs. The founder of nonviolent communication, Marshall Rosenberg, stated many years ago that NVC is really the language of life and that the framework can make such a huge difference to peacefully resolving conflicts and issues that arise between people, organizations, and even systems. I hope that today's episode gives you a bit of insight into nonviolent communication and how it might be applied in your own life in order to help you build stronger relationships, both personally and professionally. I really want to thank Morris for coming back on the show. It's great to chat with him. We always chat before I hit record and, and catch up, and uh, it's been really good hearing about his, his journey over the last several months and the work he's doing with NVC. So thank you, Morris, for being on the show. And um, with that, let's jump right into my discussion with the inspiring Morris Irvin Jr. Okay, Morris, it is uh, great to have you back on the show. We In the pre-recording here, we just talked about the fact that I think you were on about three or four months ago, the last mm-hmm. time you were on my podcast, right? Yes. Yeah. And it was during that time that you were struck down with COVID. So you were literally quarantining and recovering yes. um, from COVID. And uh, we talked about you obviously making a full recovery. Um, but yeah, for the listeners, uh, I really want to highly recommend that this is not going to be so much about your story and growing up mm-hmm. and all of that. We're going to dive right into what nonviolent communication is. Mm-hmm. Um, but to, just to set the context for our discussion, can you just share a bit of uh, a bit about yourself, who mm-hmm. you are, where you're from, and the work that you do? Yeah, so I'm glad to be here, uh, brother Andy. Appreciate coming back to your amazing podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so yeah, my name is Morris Howard Irvin Jr. I consider myself an educator first. Definitely. I'm also a youth development professional, writer, speaker, and a healer. So uh, I pride myself on um, turning fear into strength and pain into passion. And I've been in education for the last 20 years of my life. In addition to being a high school and middle school teacher, 
um, in classrooms across the country in public and private and charter schools. I also did some various work in some nonprofits, working in the community, working in neighborhoods. And I'm really about creating a sense of community, right? A sense of uh, shared respect. Um, in addition to that, I do a lot with wellness and mindfulness, practice a lot of emotional intelligence, wellness, and mindfulness, in addition to really working a lot around systems of equity, um, do a lot of anti-racism work and personal healing and grief work. So I'm about community and healing on a personal, social, and individual and systemic level. Yeah, yeah great. And it's such an amazing story. And, and I was really inspired, like, hearing your story and growing up in Atlanta, right, then moving mm-hmm. to Cleveland, mm-hmm. then moving out to L.A., and Again, I really want to encourage the listeners uh, who haven't heard your story to go back and, and listen to our first episode together because um, there's so much good stuff there and so much learning and life lessons that you share yeah. um, that really impacted the path and trajectory that you're now on. Mm-hmm. Uh, nonviolent communication is a big part of that journey. Yes. So can we just jump right into the deep end here and can you explain to the listener just a, a brief overview kind of snapshot um, about what nonviolent communication is, yeah. who, who developed it, mm-hmm. and why it's had such a big impact in your life. Yes, thank you. So <clears throat> nonviolent communication is a, is a process of, of communication that creates natural giving from the heart. It's a process of communication that really brings out the best in people, and it really nourishes and cultivates relationships. And when I say giving from the heart, oftentimes we give out of obligation, we give out of fear, out of guilt for various reasons. But this process of communication really gets underneath the surface and it creates mutual giving from the heart. Again, so yeah, so it's a process of communication. Founded by Marshall B. Rosenberg, he founded it in the 60s. He was a psychologist during the turbulent 60s from Detroit. And he really was passionate about psychology and also nonviolence. So he integrated Maslow's hierarchy of needs and, and, and nonviolence to create NVC or nonviolent communication. Um, Marshall Rosenberg's, his dream or his vision was to really create opportunities for people to to dialogue and to to nurture relationships and cultivate respect and cultivate deep listening and deep empathy from the heart, whether it's individuals, families, relationships, colleagues, coworkers. And he also worked on a systemic level. I mean, he worked in there. He worked on the Israeli uh, Palestinian conflict. He worked in schools across the nation. He worked in corporations across the nation. But he really was about the process of communication and helping people communicate from their feelings, their values or hopes and, and, and their needs, which is something that we all have. Needs are universal. So that was Marshall B. Rosenberg's wish. And uh, he developed the CNBC, the center for nonviolent communication. He has hundreds of trainers who continue to carry on his mission. If I'm not mistaken, I think he died in uh, maybe mm, 2015. Yeah, thank you. 2015 yeah. passed away, but his his legacy continues to live on of, of creating nonviolence um, using NBC um, with, his, with with his trainers. And why it's important to me, I was a teacher. You know, I was a teacher in the early 2000s, and you know, when I discovered this work, 
you know, I was I was indoctrinated in 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 the language of of judging myself and mm-hmm. not being not being aware of different choices I had in situations and how to relate to myself differently and how to relate to people differently, you know, as African-American male, as, as, as someone who had his own personal struggles, his own personal things he was dealing with as an educator, right. As in teachers, we deal, we deal with a lot of stress and um, I was struggling, you know, and I didn't really know how to clarify what was going on internally, you know, until I went to one of Marshall B. Rosenberg's workshops and it's, this whole world opened up for me. Like when he talked about like being able to articulate your feelings and, and, and your needs, it really supported me and being able to communicate something that was alive in me. And it opened me up and it gave me the tools and awareness to really discover myself, to discover who I really was inside. And in, in giving myself that gift of self-discovery, my education, you know, my, my, my learning in the classroom, my ability to relate and connect with not just my students, but my colleagues, it just flourished. It just expanded my ability to, because NVC is really about relationships. It's about really knowing how to, to build relationships and also repair relationships, mm-hmm. right? Cause we think relationships just supposed to, they're just supposed to sustain on its own. It takes a lot of work and a lot of effort. And NBC really gives you a really uh, a really intimate, detailed process of how to stay connected to your own consciousness while really tapping into the consciousness of others. And it shows you a way of how that looks with language and communication and listening and sharing and receiving and expressing. And that's why it's been so important to me, not just as, an, as a professional, but as a father, as a husband, as a son, as a neighbor, as a friend, just really helping me not master communication, but master my self-awareness, right. right? I think it's not necessarily about the communication. It's about the self-awareness that allows you to communicate so effectively. So it's really, really um, enhanced my life personally and, and professionally and culturally and socially and emotionally and spiritually. Yeah, great, great. That's a really, you know, you've taken us to a real special place with what it represents and and um, how to embody it. And in doing a little bit of research for this podcast, I, I read that um, when we, we go down deeper into conflict, uh, the statistic is that 99% of conflict occurs because of judgment, mm-hmm. right? So it's being aware of that judgment and, and uh, aware of our tendency to blame, criticize, and attack, mm-hmm. or be blamed, be criticized, or be attacked. And obviously mm-hmm. that puts you into, if we look at the, the nervous system, it mm-hmm. puts us into the sympathetic nervous system when we're right. attacked, adrenaline and cortisol spikes. This um, nonviolent communication, also known as collaborative uh, communication or mm-hmm. compassionate communication, is about truly listening and connecting to each other's genuine essence. Right? Yes. So yes. Can we jump into right now um, the four components of nonviolent communication? So you've given a bird's eye view of what nonviolent communication is. There mm-hmm. are four components of nonviolent communication, observation, feelings, needs, and requests. Mm-hmm. So just take us through, uh, let's just start with observation, the, the first mm-hmm. component. Yeah. So, you know, observation is, is, is funny. It sounds very, it sounds very simplistic. 
But again, we've been indoctrinated in this way of communicating that it labels and it, and it diagnoses and it analyzes as opposed to just naming what's so. So an observation is being able to observe and describe what you see, right? And what you hear as opposed to your interpretations about it, right? So for instance, you know, if I wake up late and I miss a meeting, our habitual tendencies is to say, oh my God, I'm, I'm, I'm such a jerk or right, or I'm a terrible person. Right. Or if I raise my voice in a relationship or in a conversation with a loved one. Right. We, we habitually, not naturally, but we habitually judge ourselves as opposed to saying, you know, I had this conversation with my spouse, you know, and I raised my voice and I walked away and I and I and I and I shut the door. Right. So, again, an observation is really naming what's so um, observable language of what you can see. And what you can hear as opposed to your interpretation about reality, what you're seeing and what you're hearing and how you're interacting with people. Okay. So, so if, if um, let's say you get into it with a colleague at work, okay, mm-hmm. your colleague yes. is really pissed and they come down the hall and you can see that they're pissed and they're coming to you and they're going to, they're going to unleash, you know, that they have a yep. tendency to, uh, to unload. Yeah. So they're going to unload on whatever it is you did to upset them. Yeah. So observation at that point, are we talking self-observation, how your own personal, mm-hmm. uh, your personal uh, feelings or personal, how your body feels in that moment, self-awareness, mm-hmm. as well as uh, observing them just, or is it purely just observing them and their actions and words? Yeah. So, and this, this is why this is such a beautiful process because to be able to make observations, you talked about it, you need to have a settled body, <laughs> yeah. right? And to have a settled body, you need to be aware of your own triggers. But we'll get into that a bit later. Yeah. But just the simple explanation is what's actually happening in the moment for you and for the other person. And if I'm having a conversation with you and, and say, for instance, you're the colleague, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you walk into the room and maybe you're not looking me in the eye or something. Right. Or, or maybe, you know, you're tapping your foot. Right. It's just to name that like Andy, right. I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, I'm a little bit, you know, confused. Right. I see that you're tapping your foot. And you won't look me in the eye mm. as opposed to Andy, what's your problem, man? Look me in my eye. Something wrong with you today. Yeah. Right. So a lot of times people um, integrate their observation with their interpretation about it. An observation is to see and describe. Andy, you're tapping your foot. You're looking in the other direction and you're not sitting down right now. I need some clarity about what's going on with you. So when you observe and describe, it helps you talk about that parasympathetic nervous system. It helps you kind of deregulate, right? And get out of your flight response because you're just kind of naming what's happening. Mm-hmm. As opposed to your interpretations about it, yeah. and that, and when you when you're able to name it, it lets people become less defensive because you're not you're not judging them; you're just naming what's going on. Right, and and that's what Rosenberg said. I was watching a video with him, and he said, uh, "I I'm not concerned with what people are thinking, mm-hmm. right? I'm concerned with what their needs are and their emotions in the moment, mm-hmm. and what's happening." Right. Mm-hmm. So it's not dissecting and analyzing every single word that comes out of their mouth. You're just right. 
filtering it down to needs and emotions. Is that accurate? Mm-hmm. And it starts with the observable. Like, Andy, I notice, you know, that you're standing and you're tapping your foot. I'm curious, you know, are you upset right now? Are you needing to understand, you know, the conversation we had the other day? Maybe that's bothering you. So you so what you see, either what you feel about it, what they see, you know, when I walked away from you the other day, were you a bit annoyed with me? Are you needing to feel a bit more considerate? Are you needing some consideration in our conversation? Would you like to have that conversation again? So it's what you see, what you feel about it, or what they see, what you sense and they're feeling about it, what their needs are. And then a request is, what would you like to happen? Right. So we looked at the observation and the feelings piece. Now dig into that a little more. So you've, you've made the observation and you, you've shared your observation, which is just fact. It's not a, per, it's not a perception. Right? Yeah. It's, it's fact. But the feelings now, talk about that. Yeah, yeah. So, so feelings can, can help you clarify. So before you really connect to your values, your feelings are, are guides to your values. So back to that conversation, we're colleagues and obviously there's a tense moment. Like in tense moments, I might feel puzzled. In tense moments, you might feel afraid and shocked, right? So, so after you name your observation, I think feelings, you can take responsibility for how this situation is impacting you, right? Not you, but impacting me. Right. Or I can guess how the how the situation is impacting you. So our feelings really lead us to our values. But we can take responsibility um, for how the situation is impacting us or we can make a guess of how the, the situation is impacting the person that we're having a conversation with. And those are their messengers that lead us to our values. Right. So whether it's frustration, again, you might see the conversation being frustrating. I might see the conversation as 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 being um i might i might feel confused about the conversation so if i'm confused it leads us to my need of more so clarity Mm -hmm. right if you're frustrated you might need more space in a moment Mm -hmm. so again marshall talks about feelings and needs are universal it's the strategies we use that create conflict Right. Yeah, it's a stress. And, yeah. So are there sentence stems? Because I, I think from what I've read that mm-hmm. there are several sentence starters that you can use. Uh, and again, it seems so fluffy, but these are actual skills that you need to build. Yeah. And sentence starters are a great way to give you the language yeah. because as Rosenberg calls it, he calls nonviolent communication a language for life. Yes. Right? Yeah. So are there sentence starters that can you share some of what those might be in regards to feelings? Yeah. So for instance, let's say for instance, and I'm, it's okay to use these different scenarios, right? For instance, yeah, yeah, I'm for sure. I'm a supervisor at, at, you know, at a residential treatment facility and say for instance, someone comes 20 minutes late and this happened yesterday. Mm-hmm. She came in 20 minutes late. She came in and my observation is, you know, she was walking around and she was kind of talking to herself Right. So I could have in my mind, I could have I could have been like, you know, what's wrong with you? Right. You crazy. But I was like such and such. I, I see you walking around. Um, are, are you are you, you know, upset or frustrated with yourself? That is that's 20 minutes late and you're walking into this job. She was like, yeah, I hate when I'm upset. I hate when I'm upset. I said, OK. So I said, OK. 
So the sentence stem is, is when I, you know, when I, when I see you walking in, I'm guessing that you're feeling frustrated or overwhelmed. Do you need some space and some time to get yourself together? Go ahead and sit in the, in the lounge and then come back and start your shift five minutes later. So when I see you, I'm guessing that you're feeling overwhelmed or frustrated feeling. Would you like some space? Would you like some time? Need? My request is, hey, take a moment, about five minutes, and then come back and start your shift. That makes sense? So when I see you as an observation, I'm guessing you're feeling frustrated, overwhelmed, um, irritated, flustered. I'm guessing you're needing some space right now. And then request is the fourth component to nonviolent communication. You want to be specific about what you're requesting from somebody or what you think they're requesting from you. So in this case, your request was that she take five minutes in the lounge to just settle herself and ground yep. herself. Yeah, because I knew she was kind of in her head about being late. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now, the habitual way, you know, just could have been like, you know, what's wrong with you? You know, you know, you know you're supposed to be on time. You know, you're messing up my shift right now, right? We had a conversation later, but in the moment I realized that, see, see, nonviolent communication is about interdependence. It means my needs are just as valuable as her needs. Mm. And it's not, not coming from a power over or a power under. It's coming from a shared responsibility. Mm-hmm. Because I knew in that moment, I could, I could put my needs on hold for a bit, right? My need of timeliness, Right, my need of support helping me out with the shift because I saw that her needs were a bit more pressing. So it's not about like a competition of needs, mm. right? It's a, it's a shared space of, of mutual interdependence. It's reciprocity, it's giving and receiving. So people can, can trust that their needs are just as valuable as your needs. And in this case, it sounds like the need that you had too was to have everybody working at an optimal level in order to serve the people you're serving. Absolutely. The kids. Yeah. That's a neat need of yours in the moment as well. So I think by the sounds of it, you recognize that if you pushed her into work right away with, with an unsettled mind, a chaotic mind, she's not going to be able to be present and do the work necessary to serve the kids that you're serving. Yep. Right. So could that also be considered maybe a underlying need that you express through that request for yeah. yeah safety and respect and consideration and also so when we talk about NBC we talk about self-expression or we talk about empathy so i just gave you an example of empathizing with other so so if you're the coworker andy you know, I see this 25 minutes. You just walked in. I didn't say you're late. You know, what's wrong with you, right? No, Andy, it's, the shift started at 7 o'clock. It's 7.25. You're talking about a sentence stem. Mm-hmm. The observation is, what happened? It's, it's, you know, my shift started at 7 to 7.25. Then you go to the filling, right? I'm guessing you're a bit frustrated or overwhelmed right now. Mm-hmm. Right? And I'm sensing that you need a little, you're needing a little space, Okay. My request is just take some time for yourself about five minutes. You want to be specific, right? If I say just take some time for yourself, they might be thinking, you know, right? So you want to be specific on your requests. You want it to be clear. And then you could even say, you can check in. Like, Andy, is, it, it, will that work for you? Because you might respond, oh, my God, I feel so bad. Like, I'm, No, 
No, I'm letting you know it's okay to take that time. Okay. Mm -hmm. Just come back in about five minutes. Okay. So that's more so empathy. Like when you're concerned about the other person's feelings, their perceptions and their needs, and you're, and you're helping them kind of problem solve in the moment. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause I probably helped her figure out what her greatest need was. Right. Because I know she was like, Oh my God, I hate being late. Oh, I'm so mad at myself. Right. So I think her need was a bit of just kind of like space and some clarity so she can be present. And then later on, it could be an opportunity for me to self-express, yes. right? And self-express could look like this. You know, I'm going to make up a name like Janet. Now, sorry, just a quick time out. Oh, sorry. Self, no, no, that's okay. I just want to, the self-expression, do you still go through the four components? Yeah. Okay. That's what I just wanted to clear. Yep. So go ahead. So the, the empathy is, Andy, when you come late, you know, I feel concerned, right? And I'm, yeah. So Andy, when you come in late, Right. I'm, I'm guessing that you're 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 overwhelmed. And you're needing some space in this moment. Take about five minutes to get yourself together. That's empathy. Right. Observations. When you come in, I'm guessing you because I'm guessing I'm sensing what you feeling, the, the feeling overwhelmed or what you're needing is space. And my request is take five minutes. Yeah. That's empathy. Right. The self-expression is now how your lateness is impacting my feelings and needs as a supervisor, right? So there's no judgment. I'm just clarifying the observation and you coming in 25 minutes late. I was a bit worried about your safety, right? When it was so, Andy, when you came in 25 minutes late, I was a bit confused because I knew the shift started at, you know, seven o'clock and I was needing a bit of understanding of, of, of what happened would you be be able to explain, you know, what happened this morning or something like that? Okay, so more because specific, I'm curious. Yeah, more specific. The request is more specific to um, why they were late. Yeah, I need some. I need some clarity. I need yeah. some understanding. Um, let's just have a five minute conversation so we can problem solve so this situation won't happen again. Right. So now, what? What if? Okay, I'm going to give you a scenario here. Okay. Yep. Yeah. You've got, okay, so I, I do a lot of work with schools, a lot mm -hmm. of different schools. Um, and there is a, uh, a team that I work with. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the, the leader of the team uh, is really serious about our work. Mm -hmm. And they are working really hard to um, train their teachers Mm -hmm. as part of this journey and there are a couple teachers like majority of the teachers are are really into the work you know mm -hmm. and really value it and they see how it can improve their practice there are a couple mm -hmm. that are quickly dismissing it not doing the the work not applying the work and this is really triggering the the department lead mm -hmm. so in that case, they're feeling um, they're feeling undermined. I guess they're feeling. I might be using my own words to put um, on that, what they're feeling, but but in that case, if some frustration, frustration, sadness, yeah, all of um, disappointment, disappointment. So in that situation, where somebody 
somebody's actions are causing you to feel that way, how could yes. nonviolent communication help in that situation yes. to understand both sides? So what? So what's this is a great, great scenario, brother Andy. So what's a, a really important distinction? We have a lot of distinctions in NBC, and one particular distinction is is you're responsible for your feelings. Like no one can make you feel a certain way, mm -hmm. right? And this is why this is important to clarify your feelings, take responsibility for your feelings and your values. Because if he values integrity, that's triggering his feelings of frustration. Yeah. Right? Now on the surface, it can seem like their actions are causing him to feel, like you said, undermined, disrespected, invisible, unheard, mm -hmm. provoked, disrespected. Mm -hmm. But if you get underneath that, you want to really connect to the life that lives within you, which is sadness, mm -hmm. right? So underneath betrayal, underneath feeling the perception that you're being undermined, is sadness, mm -hmm. it's frustration, it's heavy-heartedness, mm -hmm. Right. Because when you come from a place of let me be responsible for how I feel. Because what I value, it comes from a more authentic place than you're undermining me, you're provoking me and you're disrespecting me. Mm -hmm. Right. It's more likely for you to be able to connect with someone if you can connect with what's really alive with, within you first. So I really help people translate the perception because the perception is we think somebody's doing something to us. Mm -hmm. And that comes from a victim language, power over, power under, somebody doing something to me. Mm -hmm. So you're going to stay in a level of being in your head, labeling, analyzing, diagnosing who's right, who's wrong, who's appropriate, who's inappropriate. That's okay to start there, but you want to get from your head and get connected back to your heart. Mm -hmm. And the way you do that is I'm noticing, whoo, Man, when they sit, when I, you know, when I notice, you know, my colleagues in those meetings or when they're not turning in the, the proposals or their assignments or when I notice that, you know, when I'm, when I'm having these conversations, I'm, I'm feeling a lot of tension, mm -hmm. feeling a lot of stress, right? Because I think I'm, I'm needing harmony. I'm needing mutual respect. Mm -hmm. So that's, you come from a place of connecting to your feelings and your need which now you can kind of problem solve from an empowered place because there's no way you can problem solve from feeling like somebody's undermining you. You're going to do two things. You're going to make them submit, right? Or they're going to continue to rebel. Mm -hmm. When you come from who's right and who's wrong, Marshall talks about the blame game. Who's right, who's wrong, right? As opposed to what am I feeling and I needing? And then you can sense what they're feeling and needing underneath the resistance. Was that clear? Yes. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And I yeah. think it goes back to one of, one of the oh, things, oh. things that is important to understand here, I think, and this is, I, I think I spoke to you before about some work that my wife is doing with Dr. Gabor Mate in, mm -hmm. in uh, Canada. Uh, he does, uh, he has an approach called compassionate inquiry, which is very yeah. much um, centered on these big ideas. But being triggered is often a result of childhood trauma in our own life. 
right? Mm -hmm. So if somebody is feeling devalued or disrespected, Mm -hmm. there is a great likelihood that there's a connection to childhood trauma Mm -hmm. and being made to feel that way as a young person. And there's a lot of evidence to show this. Absolutely. So again, going back to that self-awareness and taking responsibility for our own emotions and feelings yes. and being able to communicate those emotions and feelings um, based on the values that we hold close to our heart yes. is yeah. empowering to us and empowering to the other person because ultimately you're revealing a part of yourself to them, right? Which is very scary, yeah, it's called vulnerability and transparency, right? Yes. So when we have this thing called status, and we have this thing called hierarchy, and this thing called like this domination system where we want to hide out behind our positions of authority and power, NBC gives you more choices to step outside of that. Because when you're in a, this hierarchy system, this authority, you only it's only two choices. I make you submit, and, and the people that are submitting either they rebel. So like you're saying, like if, if I'm this, if I'm the director, right. And I, I, I noticed that this stimulates some pain in me. I can ignore it or deny it or suppress it. Right. And continue to hide behind my position of authority and try to dominate or oppress or exclude or, or whatever, whatever it is we do. Or like you said, I can really, get in contact or connect with the causes of my pain because people only stimulate things that are deeper within you. So that's why this language is so beautiful because, but it is a risk. Yeah. Like when, when I, when I'm coaching staff or I'm, or I'm, you know, I'm coaching other professionals or families or in relationships, right. It's a risk to say I'm heavy hearted right now. or I'm, I'm sad when I hear that and I'm needing, you know, more trust in our relationship. So we've been conditioned, right, to hide behind our our gender roles, right, or the roles that we play at work, because this this conversation is more so revolutionary because it steps outside of that norm. And and, and it takes a lot of courage. Mm -hmm. And like you said, Morris, uh, shitty leaders hide behind their authority. Mm -hmm. And and they, again, if if somebody doesn't submit, then they're going to um, use their status their authority to push the person down Mm -hmm. right and Mm -hmm. you know we've seen leaders like this both you and i right Mm -hmm. and it just you know what you're describing is taking the social connection to a much deeper level Mm -hmm. you know um can you so the question i have for you is having really studied and taken a deep dive into nonviolent communication Mm -hmm what did you used to think nonviolent communication is? And then based on your learning and your growth and your application and your practice with it, what do you now think it is? Beautiful question. Initially, after I experienced that one day, one, it was a one day workshop with Marshall Rosenberg, like back in 2005. Then Like you, I started reading books. I started listening to tapes. And then like your colleague did initially, I mean, immediately I wanted to bring it back to my classroom 15 years ago 
I put up feelings and needs on the wall. I started having these conversations, expressing myself. I started expressing myself in my marriage as a parent. And I think initially I thought it was just words to manipulate people to do, to do what you wanted them to do. Mm-hmm. I thought it was like fancy words to get people to just do something that you wanted them to do. Mm-hmm. Initially, I just saw it as words, right? I, you know, I feel frustrated, right? I need respect. You know, would you lower your voice when you're talking to me? Or um, I feel confused. I need some more understanding. You know, could you help me figure this out? You know, and, you know, in my relationship, I was using all the words, but I wasn't connecting with the consciousness of, of this, this process is about consciousness and feeling connected mm-hmm. to somebody, you know, even if there's a conflict, the consciousness is I can still care about that other person as a human being. And you have to have the intent to want to connect. There's a quote that says, oftentimes you ask yourself two questions. Do I want to connect or do I just want to get my way? So initially when I studied NBC, I thought it was just a way to use words to get your way. Mm -hmm. And then as I really delve deeper into the spiritual consciousness of it, like empathy is, is, is about connection. Self-expression is about connecting from the heart, from a deeper place of caring, of mutual respect. So then it shifted where I understood that I started focusing less on the words, even though the words are the process, the four steps, but I started focusing more on the consciousness. Because if I can see, because I've had situations with administrators or people who really have a need for authority and control. And if I can kind of see that person's heart or see that person's vulnerability, it's going to change the way I communicate with that person. So my shift was about more so that this this process is is about consciousness and it's about connections and it's less about the words that you say. Mm -hmm. And that's what's missing sometimes. Right. And that, that was the distinct uh, shift that you made, right? In your understanding of this approach. I'm not trying to get anybody to do anything. Mm. That's why you're expressing what's alive in you. You're sensing, you're helping people communicate what's alive in them. And then you want to see if, if there can be a conversation where both needs can be met. But that's not that's not necessarily going to happen. And that's where then that's where mourning takes place. Like mourning is kind of like. Something happens where you, you wanted something to happen and, and, it, and it didn't go as planned and you feel sad about it, mm-hmm. but you wanted to meet a need. But the strategy that you came up with was unsuccessful and that's OK. And that's the real beauty of NVC because you can mourn mistakes. You can mourn when things don't work. And it's just expressing, hey, I wanted that to work. It didn't work out. I feel sad about it. Let me try another strategy to meet my need of connection or meet my need of respect or consideration. And that might mean your different approach might just be using different language to convey your feelings in the moment. And Rosenberg in, in the book 
mm-hmm. describes this scene going to a refugee camp in Palestine. Mm-hmm. And the refugee camp was littered with American bombs. Yep. And he was there to facilitate a, a, a process of peace and understanding. Mm-hmm. And when the translator, uh, through the translator, um, the, the people found out that he was American. And right away, a guy jumped up and started calling him a yep. murderer, a terrorist, a child killer. Yep. And Marshall Rosenberg, in that moment, put his nonviolent communication into immediate action mm-hmm. and just truly listened to the man and communicated back to him what he felt his feelings were and his needs were. And at first the guy wasn't budging at all, but as Rosenberg kept pushing on with, I can see you're feeling really hurt. You're Mm -hmm. you're feeling uh, confused. You're feeling, I forget the exact words that he used, but in the, in the end, the guy ended up inviting him to Ramadan at his house because he made such an impact on him by just Marshall Rosenberg, just listening to him and mm-hmm. conveying what his needs and emotions were in that moment. Yep. Um, can you give an example, another example uh, in your life when you've been triggered, where you feel mm-hmm. the adrenaline flowing and pouring through your veins, mm-hmm. you can feel your, however you internalize anger, or, you know, but can mm-hmm. you just give a specific example when you needed to step back and remind yourself Mm-hmm. to put nonviolent communication into action in that moment when you mm-hmm. most needed to put it into action. Yeah. And I think what's beauty about that story I read about Marshall also was we talked about it was his intent was to connect with someone that was expressing pain, mm-hmm. you know, and that, and that man in that Palestinian refugee camp, was expressing like pain and anger and rage. And Marshall has a song called See Me Beautiful, you know? And he says, a lot of times people have a tragic way of expressing what they're feeling and what they're needing, Mm. right? So that's why this connection is about the consciousness and stuff. What are you hearing underneath people's attacks and judgments? Yeah. Someone that's being vulnerable. Yeah, so for me, I want to use my. You want me to use something personal, professional, or, or it doesn't matter. If you're if you're comfortable with it, I don't. You know, if if you're not no, comfortable, with I'm it, open. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, just whatever pops up into your mind. It personal, professional it can be years ago. It can be yesterday. I. It just, yeah, I just want to know because yeah. people need to hear that. You know, it's human nature to be triggered and to be mm-hmm. angry. And, and to get upset, especially when we are made to, I, I don't want to say made to feel because we're responsible for our own feelings, but when we feel disrespected or we feel mm-hmm. attacked. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just talk about, uh, give us an example. I, I think for me, I, I think it's valuable to talk about your family, you know, the relationships with your your spouse or your significant other or your children because it's easier for us to be violent 
and when I say violent, not necessarily meaning like hitting or or like hurting or harming physically, but it's easier for us to it's more comfortable for us to kind of go off on our loved ones because they're closest to us. Mm-hmm. You know? So that's why I always in I have many professional examples that I can use. But I always like to use examples with my family first to show people like like this, like like it's easier to do the work with professionals and colleagues, but to do the work with people that, that you live with and you love, I think is the true essence of this communication. So my wife and I, um, you know, my, my trigger um, is really around when we talk about our fi- our finances, you know, that's a real big trigger for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, oftentimes when we had these conversations, uh, I remember particularly you know, she said in NBC, we have something called hard to hear messages. That's when someone says something that stimulates pain within you. So, you know, she said that, you know, how can you be so irresponsible and, 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 and allow um, my brother, this is years ago, to take care of our financial needs and you sit around and do nothing, you know, like I'm, I have no respect for you something like that and you know for me you know got warm <laughs> butterflies in my stomach and I, and I and I felt this initial rage you know and I wanted to uh, attack but then I just I created a little space And that's the whole point when you're having that conversation with someone, just to take that pause, just to take that space. And that space created opportunity, just like Marshall, is to really connect with what my wife was feeling and needing in that moment. And I think I just responded with, so you're angry, you know? because I haven't met your need for stability and security, you know? And then she was like, yeah, you know, because you being my husband and our partnership, I'm counting on you to take some of the load off of me, of us financially. And it's scary when I have, when I'm the one that looks at our financial bills and I'm looking at these bills and I see our bank account, I get worried. I become afraid and scared. So that one sentence where I said, right, about her feeling of, of worry and concern over, over the, her need for stability and security, it just opened up a conversation where we can hear each other, Right. Even even when I was, you know, I went in my head of like not being good enough, right? You know, my these these gender expectations. I just kind of let all that go in a moment, and I, and I really just heard her vulnerability of her feelings and what she needed. And you know, you know, we had a conversation about it, um, and then actually, I had to after I empathized with her, I had to take some time and really give myself empathy. I had to go back and connect with my feelings and needs. And initially, you know, um, I felt sad. Um, I felt disappointed. Mm -hmm. 
And I had to realize that what I needed, you know, was was accountability and honesty. So once I initially had that conversation that could have turned into an argument, I connected with her feelings and needs. And my request was I need a little bit of space to work out when I'm feeling and needed. And then we came back and we had an, and we had another conversation where it was more so mutual respect and compassion and love. And then we could see each other and then we problem solved. Yeah, that that's uh, such a real story, you know, and family, as you say, you know, you can apply this stuff in a, in a professional way because we have to go to our jobs and we have to collaborate and we have to work with people, but to be able to apply it in the heat of the moment with our loved ones definitely takes practice. And I've worked really hard on, on that with uh, my boys, my two boys um, and my wife, of course, but in particular, my two boys um, to really get out of my own headspace when they Mm -hmm. do something that angers me Mm -hmm. to get out of my headspace and to better understand what they're feeling in the moment and what their needs are. And it has definitely helped to build stronger bonds between my boys and I. Um, and I, and I'm far from perfect and I still you know, can oh, yeah. the handle at times. Um, no, but there is something to it there and it takes practice though. It, t- it takes definitely practice. takes practice and it's not going to happen overnight. And as you say, give yourself um, forgiveness if you stumble and you, yeah, you know, reserve self judgment, all of these things, and commend yourself for at least trying to make the changes needed to build yeah. stronger relationships in your in your life. Now, and I, and I do a lot of listening, um, whether it's clients that I coach, whether it's you know, my wife is a business owner and I, and I, and I support and, and empower her in leading her staff, even in my role as a supervisor at this residential treatment facility. So in all my roles, being a leader to me is helping people is listening mm-hmm. um, for people's values, right? For, for listening to what's most important to people. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes people project, like we talked about childhood trauma, talking about what, you know, people can only stimulate things that are deeper within ourselves. Mm-hmm. So my intent, right? Cause nonviolent communication is about your intention. So my intention is to help people connect with the bigness within themselves is to help people really identify what's most important to them in some type of interpersonal situation. That's what I'm always listening for. What are you needing in a moment? Is it self-protection? Is it relief? Is it space? So again, when I'm, I hope that was clear. So when I'm talking to people and they blame other, I help them realize what is, what is your most important need in that situation with yourself and also with that, with that person. So oftentimes I just point people's judgments about others to their feelings and needs about themselves. Then it creates a bit more space where they can be more empathic to themselves and they can be more compassionate to others. And then we can start the problem solve. So I think the difference is rather than just listening, 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 you're actually going in there to 
with the intention to get them to understand what their needs are. I, I hear that, you know, you're, you're repeating that this is frustrating over and over and over to you. Right. Uh, but it's like getting them to, to identify with their feelings and their needs in that moment, because if you don't do that, then they're just always going to come to you and complain, complain, complain. Yes. Right. So yes. Does that sound accurate to, to yeah, no, that's it, right? And I and even even I can just take I can take my relationship with myself. Let's do that. If I'm having um a, if I had a frustrating moment with someone, right, when I'm triggered or I feel defensive, and I'm in a you know, say for well, let me situation with a colleague, all these situations happen, right? It's, it's, yeah, yeah. it's so many opportunities to practice, right? And you know, I, I had a conversation with a colleague, and you know, I, I you know, I, I felt just dis, I felt disrespected initially, right? Or my, my perception was was disrespect, and then I did I did the process of self empathy on myself or self connection. Like what 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 was I feeling in that conversation? Like right, I was feeling stimulated. Right, I was feeling disappointed, and I was like, well, what was I needing in that situation? I think for myself, I was needing to be more clear in the way I communicated, and I needed to be more understanding of where they were coming from. So when I clarified, like, well, my need was clarity, mm-hmm. but, it, but it also was compassion. And then the conversation would have went differently. Like, it, like we was an argument. It was like, an, it was, an, it was a back and forth. Mm-hmm. So I said, Morris, what do you value in relationships? So I had to sit with that. Like I, I value like emotional safety. I value people being able to come to me, even if they're upset, and still be and feel like they've been listened to and they feel gotten. I'm like, yes. So my need more so was was being more clear. And I think their need was they wanted to be seen, they wanted to be gotten. I'm like, oh. So once I feel like well, my and this I was having this conversation with myself, or sometimes I journal. Then I went back to that person and the same situation came up again when they were triggered, I was triggered, and I slowed down. Mm-hmm. And I was like, such and such. And this is what I didn't do the first time. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't empathize. I think the first time I just went to strategy. This is what you need to do. You come here all the time asking for advice. It's like I, I tried to tell them what they needed. Mm-hmm. And the next time I was like, are you, feeling, are you feeling anxious right now? And it was like, yeah. And just me asking that one question of how they felt, it changed the whole conversation. Then I was able to say, okay, tell me more about why you're so anxious and apprehensive in the moment. What are you needing? And then it, then I, I was able to have a conversation where we talked about where it was interdependent, where their need matters just as much as my needs matter. And then remember, I talked about mourning. So the first conversation was more confrontational. The second conversation was more so, you know, it was more free. It was more easygoing. And then we both learned about each other. And then we actually repaired the relationship and then we moved forward. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. It's a beautiful process. Like, but you have to pause and slow down. Even if you don't do it in a moment, like the first time I didn't, I mourned it. What was I needing? I I wanted to be effective with the person. I wanted to, I wanted to be clear, right? It didn't happen. Mm -hmm. 
but but you but you get over it when you realize what need you're trying to meet with the action you took that you not regret. So I think the action was I was judgmental. The conversation went a bit fast, but I realized I wanted to be effective. I wanted to be clear. So once I went back and did a little bit of self empathy, there was another opportunity to have a conversation. An exact same scenario it was a bit tense, but I asked the feeling, and the person said, "I'm feeling a bit anxious." And then I saw that person as beautiful. I saw that person as having a need that I can meet, meet or not meet. Love it. Yeah. And that's, that's that reflective piece. So you really reflected on instead of just letting anger take hold, take root and being frustrated, you allowed yourself that space to reflect on what it was you needed. And you learned from that interaction to then yes. better up apply it the next time you were in a similar situation with the same person. And that's, and that's the type of coaching I give to, you know, to other professionals who are targeting someone as, or, or they're, that person is a villain to them. Right. And that's like a fixed way of seeing someone. That's a way of dehumanizing somebody. I don't care if they have power over or power under Right. So I have to help them humanize themselves and humanize that other person to create a little bit more room. And it's all a choice, brother Andy. Yeah. Right. Because some people don't want they don't want to step outside of that, that blame, that victimization. Right. I'm, and so then I need to understand that and say, I'm guessing that you're OK with the relationship the way it is. Right. Because I'm not in this relationship of nonviolent communication. It's not you're not out to fix people. Mm. or change people you're here to help people clarify what's important to them so in that case what you just described is that it's some people won't change but going back to you're ultimately responsible for communicating your own emotions and your own needs so even you know if you do that if you've done Mm. the best that you can do at that and there's still no movement from their side you've done what you have to do to connect to your own essence. Yeah. Right. So, so there is something to be said with sticking to it and being committed to this process, even if you're not seeing the results you want in yes. another person. Yes. Because there's, there's a need for like radical acceptance and acceptance is a choice to be with things exactly the way it is. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes the morning is, is it's, it's hard for us to accept when things are not changing or, or it's not happening in the way we want it to happen. So when I can live with the, with the intention of, 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 of acceptance, then I'm always kind of looking for a sense of being at peace. Yeah. And then I can find different ways. See, they talk about giraffe and jackal, right? So NBC, Marshall used the, these two animals. He used a giraffe and he used a jackal. So the giraffe represents um, when, when we're self-expressing our feelings and our needs and we're listening for the feelings and needs. No matter what people say, they can be pointing their finger. They can be raising their voice. They could be slobbing, right? They can be like breaking things. But if you're, if you're communicating from the space of a giraffe, your heart is open, right? Your heart is open. And, and, and you're being able to connect with what's the energy in the moment, which is tension, which is, which is hurt, which is pain. 
and you're being able to connect with that. Okay. And, and the reason why he uses a giraffe, because he says a giraffe um, has the biggest heart of any, any land mammal. And it also symbolically, like it sticks its neck out for others. And then a giraffe is so tall, like it can kind of see over everything. So a giraffe has more of a vast perspective about many different ways and approaches and strategies to see a situation. And that's why he calls it giraffe communication. Also giraffe inwardly, when you make a mistake, you don't, you don't beat yourself up. Okay. What was I feeling? What was I needing when I took that action? Or if someone else does something to you, if you have a parent that wasn't there for you, you just try to guess what would, what were they feeling and needing? So that's kind of giraffe communication. Jackal is, is, is what he uses to describe the language of judgment, blame, criticism, and put downs. A jackal only sees one way, right? One way, blame, shame, or guilt. And that limits communication. So then when you jackal yourself or you use jackal language, it's, it's like it's all about blame, right? It's all about shame. It's all about so it's just a choice right you can live communicating like a jackal or you can always notice sometimes we always go back and forth and that's why this language is beautiful because you can just be aware and then you can be in the space of choice mm-hmm. and you can always go back and clean it up yeah I'm through the reflective process and i like the the idea of the giraffe is is taking that balcony view you know, yeah. and, and we had a consultant once who talked about in the coaching work you're doing, you have to take that balcony view and look down on the dance floor and seeing the way people move and, and dance and taking on that balcony view allows you to, um, to depersonalize things and mm-hmm. to better understand um, the situation that you're presented with um, when working with people and, and coaching with people. Mm-hmm. Um, I asked you uh, before we recorded about um, if you were a nonviolent communication, uh, communication trainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just take us through that, that process, where you're at in that process. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, a little bit about that before we close the show. Yeah. So I'm so excited because I have been, living and teaching and sharing nonviolent communication since 2006. So it's been what, 15 or 16 years. And now I've decided to become a certified trainer. Right. And it's a, it's an intense process that can occur over two years or five years. And the difference with nonviolent communication, we talked about power dynamics. It's, it's not like a, a master's program or or some sort of degree where you have someone um, who has power over you and they, you know, they kind of decide on what's best for you through the journey. This is more, more of a co-creation. It's more of a collaboration with your assessor. They get to know you as an individual. They get to know your strengths, your passion, your interests. They get to know why you want to become a certified trainer in nonviolent communication, and you go on a journey together. So the journey is around um, you teaching NBC, you sharing NBC, um, you you're, you personalizing your NBC experience to yourself, and then you're sharing NBC with community. So they are assessing your ability to to live it first. Mm-hmm. 
living means to 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 embody it, to practice it, right? Personally and in all aspects of your life, but to also teach it and to also share it and know about NBC. So it's a it's a real beautiful process of um me sending in different opportunities where I'm teaching in front of different audiences, is me sending in different journals. Like we have to send in journals where we're really being intimate about like our own process of NBC. So it's also an opportunity for us to meet different requirements um, for this process. But we talk about like, it's a shared creation. We talk about what's working, what's not working. And it's not just about um, my assessor kind of making all the decisions. It's more so of, of a collaboration about when I feel like I'm ready when my assessor feels like I'm ready, when I've met the requirements, um, and then I do this, it's called a, a pre-assessment, where it's like a four-hour kind of demonstration. I invite people from the NBC community, and I kind of demonstrate me practicing NBC scenarios, role plays. I go over some of the distinctions, right? And then we have a final assessment where it's like a project where I pick something that's near and dear to me. And then also I invite the community in, and I kind of demonstrate my competence of living, sharing, and teaching in BC. It's been an amazing process, and I'm really looking forward to being candidated in February. And what's your biggest hope with that in moving forward? Yeah, man, just just to be able to continue to to heal, you know, to heal myself and to heal um, people around me. You know, this 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 NBC is an opportunity to create healing and connection, which is what's missing from this planet. is more healing and connection and nonviolence and self-discovery mm-hmm. because having a conversation where someone is truly invested, where you can get someone. Like I've had conversations with young people. I've had conversations with complete strangers. I've had conversations with police officers. I've had conversations with families around a dinner table where there's been some sort of violence in this conversation in, in NBC where you can be a giraffe and stick your neck out for people and, and have people see the beauty within themselves on a personal social and a systemic level. It's just a miracle. So I just want to continue to use this language to create miracles in myself and, and, and my family, my community in the world. And that's why getting more training and development in NBC is going to help me do that. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, Morris, can you tell people where they can find you on on social media? No. So my Instagram is the, T-H-E, real, R-E-A-L, Mansa, M-A-N-S-A. That's my Instagram. My Facebook is just Morris Urban, M-O-R-R-I-S-E-R-V-I-N, and that is my Facebook. Or you can just email me, Urban at Yahoo. And that's how you can connect with me. Awesome. I'm going to put that in the show notes. Uh, so great to reconnect with you. Uh, I really appreciate our discussions. And again, I didn't have a script for this conversation, so we just kind of went with it. And Love it. and um, it took us to some really cool places. And yeah. it's most important. I just want people to understand that there is a different way that we can communicate to bring out mm-hmm. our best and to bring out the best in others. So having people like you on the show to share your insight and, and uh, different approaches that we can put into action is, is a really important thing uh, for me to provide to my listeners. So yes. thank you very much. Thank you, my brother. I always appreciate the way you 
hold the conversation and the space that you provide and the questions you ask really help me go a bit deeper to bring out the beauty that's alive in this conversation and in this complicated process. So thank you, brother, as always. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, I'm just going to close off the show and then we'll just say our goodbyes. So everybody, thank you very much for listening to this uh, episode with Morris Irvin Jr. And I hope you come back to listen to future episodes. Run Your Life podcast with host Andy Vasily.